God is self-existent. We have seen that God is infinite, meaning he is he has no limits. And last Sunday we saw that God alone is unchangeable. And the more we get to know God, the more encouraged and comforting and um faith-building it is. And we're reminded again that uh, he told us, don't, don't glory in your riches, don't glory in your strength, don't glory in your wisdom, but glory in this, that you know God. And that's our purpose, to get to know him more. Um, when Leonardo da Vinci painted his famous Last Supper painting, he had little difficulty with any of it, until he came to the faces of the disciples and Jesus. Then he painted the faces without too much trouble, except one. He did not feel himself worthy to paint the face of Jesus. He held off, he kept holding off, and... and an unwillingness to approach it, and yet he knew that he must. And then in an impulsive carelessness of despair, he painted it quickly and he just left it. And he said, there's no use. I can't paint him. When it comes to looking at the attributes of God, to a certain degree it's like, There's no use. We can't paint the picture of who God is. And yet God has revealed to us who he is, and admittedly, our minds can't comprehend it all. And and yet, if we look at the characteristics of God, it will build our faith, it will strengthen us in our walk. And today, I want to call your attention to the book of Revelation, to begin with, and um, beginning in verse 2 of Revelation chapter 4. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne, and he who sat there was like a jasper and sardis stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald, Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and on the thrones were twenty-four elders sitting clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads, and from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal, And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second living creature like a calf, the third living creature had the face like a man, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, 
who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist. And were created. So we read here in the book of Revelation a description of what is taking place around the throne of God. This is following the rapture of the church. And uh, it gives us a little insight. Before we get in and look at this, I, I want you to picture in your mind... Um, imaginary or whatever individual that you would find to be the most despicable individual that you could imagine. It, it doesn't have to be a real live person. And if it is, please don't point to them this morning, okay? But, you know, every one of us have certain things that we find repulsive. And, and it differs. But I want you to think of, of maybe you've run into an individual that, that, um, it just, it was repulsive. Their character, their personality, whatever, their mannerisms, their appearance, whatever. I want you to think of that and we'll come back to that, um, um, later here and just, just a few minutes. But back to Revelation chapter 4. We, we get a picture of the throne and the 24 elders that are gathered around the throne. And they are saying before God, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The attribute that we're looking at today is the holiness of God. God is holy. No other time, and there, no, there is another time in Scripture, there are other times in Scripture that we read this, but there is no other instance that any character trait of God is repeated three times. You'll never read, love, love, love. About God, although God is love. You'll never read truth, truth, truth. You won't read any other. But you will read in Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 3, when Isaiah saw the Lord, and and the statement was, Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. It's mentioned in triplicate. When God says something once, that's enough. But when God says something three times, that emphasis is very important. And in realizing this is the, the ultimate character trait of God, it is the one that is identified before the throne, that God is holy, holy, holy. So we ask the question, If someone 
were to say to you or about you, he is a or she is a holy person, would you take that as a compliment? Well, you might say it depends who it comes from. It depends the nature and how they say it. But when it says that God is holy, it is much more than a compliment. God's holiness means that he is set apart. The very word holy means to be set apart. God is set apart from his creation. <clears throat> we mentioned that God is self-existent and he created everything else. God is is not part of creation. He is not equal with his creation. He is set apart from creation. He is above and beyond all of his creation. The word holy means to be sacred, to be set apart, to be revered, to be divine. God is holy, and it means he is set apart endlessly. He is perfect. He is other than his creation. He is uh, apart from his creation. It indicates his complete perfection in every way. And and really, this holiness thing is something that brings all his other characteristics together, that binds them together. That's why, before the throne of God, they're saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. So it means he is set apart, but it has another meaning as well. God's holiness means that he is separated from sin. So he's set apart, but even more specifically, he is set apart from sin. He is completely separate from sin, utterly pure, separate from sin. God tells us in the Bible that God hates sin, that he cannot sin, that he will not tempt others to sin. God is so pure that he um, cannot tolerate sin in any form in his presence. And one day he will destroy sin forever. He is separate from sin. That is why when we read of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, when Jesus Christ bore the penalty of our sin and bore our sin, that God the Father could not look on it and Jesus Christ cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God is a holy God. He is totally separate from sin, and because he is holy, he hates all sin. He can never approve of any evil, and um, he, he understands the realm of sin, and it, it is against his very nature at all. So, he is set apart, meaning he is above and beyond any and all creation, and he is totally separate from sin. He is holy. Now, 
that puts us in in a difficult situation. We are born into this world as sinners. So here is God in his holiness, separate from sin. He is separated, set apart from us. He is above us. He is beyond us. And we are in our sin. And the more you understand the purity of God, the more you understand the holiness of God, the more you will understand the greatness that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I asked you a moment ago to imagine the most despicable person that you could ever imagine. That is you and me, and much more so in comparison to a holy God. There is no way we can imagine our sin compared to a holy God. And I think many times people take lightly the gift of God in Jesus Christ. It's so easy. For God so loved, one of the first verses we learned, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This is a holy God that found everything about our sin as repulsive. Have you been in situations where your gag reflex kicks in? I mean, you can't help it. It's just repulsive to you. It's just... Working working as a janitor in Bible college, cleaning a men's dorm during a flu epidemic, my gag reflex kicked in a lot. That doesn't even begin to show... God finds our sin despicable because he is a holy God. That's his nature. See, a gag reflex, that's our nature. It's just, I don't need to illustrate it anymore, okay? But that's our nature. And that God in his holiness sent Jesus Christ to bring God's holiness to us and allow us to come to Him is the miracle of miracles. And Jesus Christ alone enables us to approach a holy God. Spurgeon said, holiness is not the way to Christ. Christ is the way to holiness. Better still, Christ is our holiness. See, the most despicable person you can imagine. And yet God loved us, loved me. To send his son to pay the penalty for my sin that God couldn't look on, that he turned his back on, so that I can be forgiven 
and be brought to fellowship with a holy God. So that when I have trusted Jesus Christ, God sees me through Jesus Christ and he sees the holiness of Jesus Christ for me. So that Paul wrote to the Romans in Romans chapter 8 and verse 9, There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. I was condemned. I had all this sin and the rebellion against God and pride of my nature and pride of my character and, and all of this sin. But once I've come to trust Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin, I am forgiven and there is no condemnation and I can come boldly to the throne of God, a holy God. See, if we understand and try to grow in our understanding of the holiness of God, it elevates the work of Jesus Christ even more. We have a cheap gospel because we don't have a holy God. Thankfully, a Christian will never have to experience God's holy wrath poured out through Christ's death, through his resurrection. The penalty for our sin was completely paid for, and we are given Christ's righteousness. It's not our righteousness that saves us. Because all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags compared to the holiness of God. F.B. Meyer was, was traveling in Scotland and, and preaching revival meetings there. And he was in a home uh, for, a, for a meal. And the lady had hung her laundry out on the line. And it started snowing and the snow built up. And, and F.B. Meyer said to the lady, he said, The whites on the line don't look so white compared to the snow, do they? And she said, that's an unfair comparison because nothing can compare to the whiteness of God. And our sin may look good compared to others, but when you compare it to the holiness of God, we see the greatness of our sin And we see the greatness of God's forgiveness in sending his son. And why would we not call upon him for the forgiveness of sin? So we see Jesus Christ alone enables us to approach a holy God. And then turn to 1 Peter chapter 5, if you would. 1 Peter chapter 1, excuse me. 1 Peter chapter 1. And verse 15. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 15. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. God calls us to be holy. It is quite true that we, in and of ourselves, cannot live a holy life. But you notice what he said. Be ye holy, for I am holy. He didn't say, be holy like me. 
He said, because my nature is holy, I want you to pursue a holy life. So let's go back. One aspect is that he is set apart. As a believer who has trusted Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin, our purpose in life should be that we are set apart. God, you forgave my sin. You have given me a home in heaven. And now I want my life to be lived for you. I am set apart for service, for love, for following you. My life is set apart for you. I'm not living for myself. I'm not living for other purposes or plans or goals. I am set apart. Living your life only for him. The one aspect of his holiness, he was set apart. The second aspect, he was separated from sin. So, we get saved. He forgives our sin, but we still have the sin nature. But he gave us the Holy Spirit to instruct us and teach us and empower us. And we have a choice every day, every many, many times a day. Am I going to obey the Spirit? Am I going to obey the flesh? We now have a choice. So, before, all I could do was obey the flesh. Now I can obey the Spirit And I can be separating from sin. So God calls us to be holy. And this is a work that His Spirit is doing in our life. Progressive sanctification. The whole purpose of God in redemption is the work to make us holy, to restore us, to bring us back to the image of God that we were created in. To accomplish this, he disengages our earthly ambitions. He, he, he makes our earthly dreams crumble and fall. And he wants to replace them with something that is eternal. Something that is lasting. So he begins a work. He calls us to be holy. That means I need, as a Christian, to be set apart to God. God, my life is to is live for you. It doesn't matter if I if I go work in the factory, if I go work in the office, if I go work on the farm, if I go work wherever. As a Christian, we ought to be doing it as to the Lord. I'm set apart for God. In the home, being a husband, being a wife, I'm set apart as to the Lord. He calls us to be holy. Let me mention one other thing about God's holiness. God's holiness guarantees ultimate victory. To preserve his creation, God must destroy whatever would destroy it. And when he arises to put down iniquity and save the world from ultimate total collapse, it is said in the word that the wrath of God comes. Every aspect of the wrath of God in judgment throughout history has been an act of preservation. It is God preserving his creation. The holiness of God, the wrath of God, 
and the health of creation are inseparably united. Do you understand that? The holiness of God, the wrath of God, and the preservation of his creation are inseparably united. I'm not going to get into it, but you look at prophecy and and the the rebellion of mankind against God will be put down and God in his holiness will ultimately triumph and he alone will be the last one standing. So let me just quickly mention what God's holiness should do in our own life. God's holiness, number one, exposes our sin. When I compare myself, we may compare ourselves to other people. And you can always find people worse than you. You know, I mean, we compare ourselves to people that we're better than. It starts out as a little kid. You know, if a kid runs a race and gets beat by someone... And then he runs a race and beats someone. He says, I'm better, I'm faster than they are. You don't hear a kid say, I'm slower than they are. What? We compare to that which makes us look better. But when you compare yourself to the holiness of God, it reveals our sin. It exposes our sin. The holiness of God, secondly, shatters our pride. What do I have to glory in compared to God? He he is far beyond. He is set apart, holy. He is entirely separate from sin. I am not separate from sin. None of us are. We are filled with sin. And He is. I have nothing to glory in. It completely shatters our pride and it demands repentance. Here I am, I real, my sin is exposed. I, I have nothing to commend myself to God. And Isaiah, when he saw the Lord high and lifted up and he saw that he was holy, 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 He fell on his face before God and he says, woe is me. I I am completely undone. He said, I'm coming apart. When he saw the holiness of God, he repented. He was driven to brokenness and confession and repentance. And it should. Repentance is turning around. And then it should drive us to Jesus. He is our only hope. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. I have all this vileness. I have all this filth. I have all this evil. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow. That makes me white as snow, holy. No other fountain can do this but the precious blood of Jesus. 
So it drives us to Jesus. And then once we've come to Jesus and in Jesus Christ we are declared forgiven, it should bring us to obedience and a hatred for sin that begins, first of all, a hatred for sin in my own life. It would bring us to obedience This holy God is perfect in all his ways. Why wouldn't I obey him? And then it brings a hatred for sin that starts with us. It doesn't start, I hate the sin in you and I hate the sin in you. No, it starts with a hatred for sin in our own life. And then it ignites worship in our heart. Psalm 96, the psalmist said, O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. We sometimes think holiness is is this pious, I'm better than you and I wouldn't do this and I wouldn't do that. That's not holiness. Holiness is beautiful. Holiness is Christ-likeness. And and when we come to see the holiness of God, it will make us worship Him. God, thank You that You are whiter than snow. Thank You that You are set apart beyond, far beyond all creation. Thank You that there there is no, no darkness in You at all. He says in... In 1 John 1, 5, that he is absolutely pure, that he is light, and there is no darkness in him at all. It should ignite a a delightful worship in our heart. And if we commit to holiness, we will reap happiness. If you pursue happiness... You'll never find it in and of that pursuit. That's why I said don't glory in your riches or your money or your wisdom or anything else. Glory that you know God and to know that he is a holy God. D.L. Moody said, It is a great deal better to live a holy life than to talk about it. We are told to let our light shine. And if it does, we won't need to tell anybody it does. The light will be its own witnesses. Lighthouses don't ring bells and fire cannons to call attention to their shining. They just shine. And if we are committed to the holiness of God, it is important that we don't just talk about holiness, that we live A life of holiness. And if you're here today and you have never personally run to Jesus, there is no hope for you except the wrath of God unless you come to Jesus. And once you come to Jesus, you'll be like the songs that we heard for the offertory. I'd rather have Jesus than Anything else, give me Jesus. In the morning, when I rise, give me Jesus. In the end, when I die, give me Jesus. Why? Because 
we can never approach a holy God except through Jesus. Heavenly Father, I pray that every believer here today would be encouraged by your holiness, that the sacrifice that you made for our forgiveness would would be brought to a new heights and new appreciation in our lives. <clears throat> and Lord, that we would forever be grateful to you that we can approach you a holy God through faith in Jesus Christ, that our sins are forgiven as far as the east is from the west. And Lord, I pray that our lives would be committed to obedience to you, that we would have a hatred for sin in our own life. And Lord, I pray today that that we would have a genuine worship of you because you are holy. Lord, I pray if there are individuals here today that are not sure their sins are forgiven, not sure they can rest in the presence of you, a holy God, Lord, I pray today before they leave, that they would mention that to someone and we could help them settle it in receiving the gift of Jesus Christ. Or even in their own place where they're seated right now to cry out to you for mercy. And then, Lord, for every believer, may we rejoice in your holiness. We pray in Jesus' name with thanksgiving. Amen.